Thank you, Stotts, for leading us this morning. They're going to lead us in a couple of more songs when we're finished looking at the Word. I want you to take your Bible and find the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. You can take your bulletin out, find the outline if you'd like to follow along there, Ephesians 4. Sunday mornings we've been plunging through the Gospel of Luke. We're going to take a break for four weeks beginning this morning to talk about how we can grow up. What does it mean to strive for maturity in Jesus Christ? And so we're going to look this morning at Ephesians chapter 4. While you turn there, you find that passage, I want you to go back to elementary school. I want you to go back to middle school, maybe even high school if you were a late bloomer and a late grower. And I want you to think about when you were little and your grandparents used to come to you and say something like this, look how big you're getting, we, I'm going to put a brick on your head. That's the kind of thing that when you go to Kenya, you don't want to say that to a little kid in Kenya. They don't understand what that means, that's an idiom, right? If you say it in another culture, it makes you sound like an idiot. And the kid's going to look at you and say, brick on my head, what in the world are you talking about? But you know what that means, what grandparents are saying is, I just want you to stop growing. I just want you to stay little. You're just getting so big, and I just I don't want you to grow up that fast. I don't know what it is about grandparents, but I think all grandparents say that at some point in time. I don't know if that's on the back of your AARP card. Tell your grandkids, I'm going to put a brick on your head. But somehow, you're all in on it, and grandparents say, we, just, we want you to stay little. We're going to put a brick on your head. It's not just grandparents. It's parents, too. Parents make fun of the things grandparents say until they're grandparents, and then they say the exact same things the grandparents say. But while they're parents right now, you just get on Facebook and look at what parents put on Facebook. And a lot of what you see on Facebook on a normal week is you see pictures of people's kiddos. And of course, we talked about this in my Sunday school class, Facebook is the, the happy highlight reel. You don't see the screaming before the picture to smile, to look at the camera, to stop doing that, quit poking your sister. You just, all you see is the smile and the happy face, and it looks so nice. And then the parents put something like this, oh, my heart, oh, my kids are getting so big, oh, my babies, oh, I just wish time would slow down, would somebody please just stop? And what they're saying is, I just, there's part of me that wants them to stay little. Now, when you see those same parents at HEB and the Facebook happy highlight reel is not running and their sweet little angel is throwing a temper tantrum or maybe they get home from HEB and their sweet little angel is just eating all the food they just bought at HEB in that moment all they're thinking is would you please grow up and get out of my house but there's times where you just sort of a sweet sentimental moment and whether you're a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or whatever you say oh I just just want you to stay little. Maybe some of you have heard of Brooke Greenberg. She was born January 8, 1993 in Baltimore, Maryland. She died 20 years later in the same hospital that she was born in. This is a picture of Brooke with one of her sisters and, and uh, her family over there on the right. Brooke in the picture that you see there is 20 years old. 20 years old. She died 20 years after she was born. She was 30 inches tall and she weighed 16 pounds. She had something called Syndrome X. They just were out of names for syndrome, so they just picked a letter, Syndrome X. And literally, you can look this up, there are a few, a handful of people on the planet 
that we ever have known of that have this syndrome. And basically, you can read the, the description online if you're really interested in it. Let me put it in dummy terms where I can understand it. It means you don't grow up. It means you just stay little. Physically, you stay small. Mentally, you stay small. And Brooke Greenberg had this. And when we think about bricks on the head and sentimental Facebook posts, and then you think about, about Brooke Greenberg, you realize, I really don't want that. I say I want you to stay small. I say I want somebody to stop the clock. But we really don't want that. What we really want, even though we have these sort of sentimental moments and we say these sentimental things, what we really want is for our kids and our grandkids to grow up to maturity. You understand that your heavenly father wants the exact same thing from you in your spiritual life. He doesn't want you to stay little forever. You start somewhere. You start little. You start as an infant in Christ. But God wants you to grow up. And I'm fascinated when I'm reading through the New Testament recently. This was the idea for this series. All of these passages in the New Testament where whoever's writing says to believers, grow up. Grow up. You're supposed to grow up. This is like you're having a flashback to parenting and raising your kids. And you say, I just want you to grow up. And that's what these guys are saying at times. Don't be satisfied to stay an infant in Christ. Grow up. Strive for maturity. Now, you know, as parents and grandparents with your kids and your grandkids, if they're going to grow up, it's not going to just happen on its own. They need a few things to grow up. They need food, and as they get bigger, they need more and more and more of it. They need shots, and they need to go see a doctor every now and then. They need to stay away from certain dangers, and all of these things go into your kids growing up into maturity. Listen, in the spiritual realm, it's exactly the same. If your plan for spiritual growth is, well, I'm just going to come sit here once a week and then go about life and try not to sin, that's a bad plan. One of my favorite authors is a guy named D.A. Carson. Look what he says about Christian maturity. He says, people do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. What we need, as he says, is grace, excuse me, grace-driven effort. What are the things that we need to do, the things that we need to put in our life with God's help to help us grow, to help us mature? And that's what we're going to talk about in this series. And we're going to look this morning at Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul tells the church to grow up, to mature. And we're going to begin by reading the Word of God. And so you look with me at Ephesians 4 beginning in verse 11. We're going to read all the way to verse 16. The Word of God says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, maybe your, your translation says the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up 
in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with it, is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the Word of God. How do we grow up? If you like to make notes in your Bible, you can make this note in your Bible. If you don't, the scripture is on the outline, and maybe you like to make this note now. I just want to point out a couple of words to you in this passage, and maybe you want to underline them, maybe you want to circle them, okay? Look at Ephesians 4, verse 12, and look at the word equip. Circle that word. Look at also in verse 12, the word building up. Underline it, mark it, highlight it. Equip, build up. Verse 13, mature. Verse 14, children. Verse 15, grow up. Mark it, underline it. Verse 16, here's this word we saw in verse 12, equipped. Verse 16, grow. Verse 16, building itself up. Another word we saw back in verse 12. All of these words together, equipping and building and maturing and growing and equipping and growing and building. What Paul is saying, I want you, the church in Ephesus, the church at Emmanuel, to grow up. I don't want you to be children in your faith. I want you to mature. And in these verses, he gives us some clues at how we can do that, about some things that we need in our life if we're going to grow up. Three things we need. Here's the first one, according to Paul. If you're going to grow up, you need godly leaders. Godly leaders. In verse 11, he talks about five different types of leaders. Look at verse 11. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, or again, your translation may say pastors. It means the same thing. And teachers. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Think about these with me for just a second. The first two go together. When Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, three times he mentions apostles and prophets, and they go together. These two are a unique category in Paul's mind. You can look at chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says, the foundation of the church is the apostles and the prophets. When you build a building, how many foundations do you need? If you do it right, you just need one. This is the foundation. It doesn't need to be relayed. It doesn't need to be reported. It doesn't need to be rebuilt. This is the foundation. Chapter 3, verse 5, he says, The apostles and the prophets received special revelation from God. What did those men do with that revelation? They wrote it down in our Bible. If you're going to grow up, you need the apostles and the prophets. That doesn't mean today you need to find an apostle or a prophet. That means you need their word the word that God gave to them. You need this foundation that God has laid. And so Paul talks about apostles and prophets. He talks about evangelists. Somebody whose specific job, unique job, unique gifting is to go and to tell other people the good news about Jesus Christ. Two men in the New Testament are described specifically as evangelists. One is Philip, one is Timothy. You can look up the references later if you'd like to do that. Then he talks about shepherds or pastors. In other places in the New Testament, this position or this person is called an elder. Sometimes they're called an overseer. Sometimes they're called a bishop. All of those words mean the exact same thing. And the person that Paul is describing here, the shepherd, the pastor, is someone who's given the responsibility to lead a specific church and to teach in that church context. 
That's the pastor. That's the shepherd. They lead this congregation, and they teach in this congregation. And then the fifth category is the teacher. Lots of different teachers mentioned in the New Testament. And the difference between the teachers and the pastors is the teacher's job is to teach only, not necessarily to lead in decision-making or direction. But their job is to teach the Word of God. And so he mentions all five of these positions, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. That's in verse 11. Guess what comes after verse 11? Verse 12. Just making sure you're tracking with me. Some of you flew a long ways yesterday. Look at verse 12. There's a comma between verse 11 and 12, not a period. These, these verses are connected. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for building up the body of Christ. That's why God instituted these different positions of leadership to equip the saints, that's Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's you, to equip you for ministry and to build up the body of Christ. Now let me say three simple things about these positions of leadership, okay? First of all, everyone needs these kind of godly leaders in their life if they're going to grow up. Everyone. So look around the room. Every person you see in the room needs this. And most of you didn't look around the room and you're looking at me, and that's okay, because guess what? I need it. It is not a good system in a church to set one person up as the head and to say, this is the leader. They don't need this sort of influence because God has sort of done something different in their life than the rest of us, and we're just going to do whatever that person says. That's a bad plan for a church. A much better plan, I believe, and the plan presented in the Bible is to say, we have multiple pastors in our church. We play different roles, but we have a group of shepherds. And we don't set one person necessarily up as if they're more important or more wise or more gifted or more whatever, but we have a group of people that lead the church and that teach in the church. Everyone needs this. That includes me, and that includes you. Here's a second thing I just want to make sure you get. We need godly leaders, not just leaders. There's a big difference. I never cease to be amazed. Brooke and I talked about this a few weeks ago. I never, I'm always amazed at the things that I hear about pastors. Pastors of big churches and pastors of small churches that bring disgrace on the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying they have to be perfect, but because they're not godly. Paul says you need godly leadership. There's lots of people who are leaders in this world. They lead in your place of work. They lead in schools. They lead in lots of different ways in our community. Here in the church, when we gather together, the need is not just for leadership. It's for godly leadership. Here's the last thing I want you to get. Your leaders are not here to entertain you. A lot of churches have made that mistake. They're, they're personality driven. They're there because everyone thinks the pastor is just the greatest order. Or they're there because the worship team is just the greatest whatever. Listen, I want to be the best order I can be. And our musicians want to be the best music musicians that they can be. But we're not here to entertain you. 
And if you start showing up to be entertained, you missed it. That's not the point. That's not why God gives us leaders. He says right here, I've given you the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers to equip you. You understand, we're not in the entertainment business. We're in the equipping business. Preparing you to do the work of the ministry so that the body of Christ, the church, is strengthened. So number one, if you want to grow up, you need godly leaders. Number two, if you want to grow up, you need sound doctrine. Good doctrine, solid doctrine, true doctrine. Look what Paul says in verse 13. He talks about the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Look what he says in verse 14. He said, I don't want you to be children because children are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. That's what children do. Children go to the Christian bookstore or search Christian books online and they just take whatever is the bestseller and they say, this is great stuff. They're just tossed about by whatever is on the bestseller list, by whoever's the hottest podcast. Paul says, don't be like that. Don't be tossed back and forth by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes. Don't be children. Please grow up. How many of you have heard of the Barna Group? Barna Group does a lot of research in the United States of America. And one of the things they do every year is they do research on Christian literacy, biblical literacy. How well do people in the United States know the Bible? And they do this every year. And in this survey, they ask all sorts of Bible questions. But the first question on the survey that you answer is this question. How well do you know the Bible? And they're just asking Americans. How well do you know the Bible? Here's the results from 2014. 13% of Americans say, I am highly knowledgeable about the Bible. 69% say, I am somewhat knowledgeable. I'm not highly, but come on, I know some stuff. Somewhat knowledgeable. 12%, not too knowledgeable. 6%, not at all knowledgeable. And 1%, probably the honest ones say, I don't know. It's over 80% of the people in the United States of America when asked to evaluate themselves, not other people, themselves. How well do you know the Bible? Over 80% say, I know it somewhat well. I'm either very confident or somewhat confident in my Bible knowledge. Now I had in my sermon, in the first draft, a lot of the other questions they asked in this survey specific Bible knowledge questions, and I took them all out. You know why I took them out? I took them out because I don't want to embarrass anybody. Because they ask these basic Bible questions. I am not talking about systematic theology 101 or some high-level exam you would take at seminary. I'm talking about basic Bible knowledge. They ask Americans, Americans 80% say they know it pretty well. You look at the results. If you're curious, you can Google it. You can find it. Let me just summarize the results this way. 80% of us are overconfident in our Bible knowledge. And I could give you all the specifics, but I don't want you to say, oh, I'm an idiot. I didn't know that one either. It's not the point to embarrass anybody, to make you feel stupid, to beat you over the head. Just simply to say, we think in this country we know the Bible. People say a lot of weird things to pastors. Do you know what one thing I hear all the time is? I know the Bible pretty well. Really? Do you? 
Because if this survey is indicative of us where we live, we don't. And Paul says, as plain as the nose on your face, you cannot escape it. You will never grow up unless you have good, solid, sound doctrine. That's not necessarily cool today. Because in our day, people are so spiritual, they just want to go off of feelings, and they want to go off of emotions, and they want to go off of their gut, and this and that. And Paul says, look, forget all of that. You will never grow up to maturity unless you have sound doctrine. A few clarifications here. Number one, our goal is always unity of faith. Paul says that. We're looking for the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. You know what this means? This means that there is sound doctrine out there. It exists. And it's our job to find it and agree on it. It is not our job to sit around a circle in a small group and to say, well, you know, I read this verse this week, and here, here's what I think it means. Here's, here's what it says to me. Here's how I interpret it. No, it means what it means. It's outside of you. It doesn't come from within you. The truth is the truth. And Paul says we're striving for the unity of the faith. There can be no unity if you sit on this side and say, well, to me it means this, and I sit on this side. And, well, to me it means this. Baloney. Every one of you has the right to interpret the Bible for yourself, but that right doesn't validate your interpretation. And Paul says our job is to look for the unity of the faith. To find what is really, truly true and to get together on that. That's what we strive for in looking for sound doctrine. Number two, it's built on the one true foundation. Sound doctrine is built on the one true foundation, which in the context of Ephesians and the apostles and the prophets for you and me is the word of God. We're not coming together to vote as a democracy on what is most popular to believe. We're not looking to governments to define for us what is popular to believe. We're not looking like children for the winds to blow us back and forth in every scheme of man that comes along. We say this is our foundation. Whatever we believe must rest on this. And we're looking for what's true. And lastly, number three, sound doctrine focuses on Jesus. So many times when people get off track doctrinally, they have just missed Jesus. Or more often than that, they haven't missed Jesus, they've missed part of Jesus. They take the parts of Jesus they like and they forget about the rest. Sound doctrine focuses on Jesus. So you need sound doctrine if you're going to grow up. If you're going to grow up, you need godly leaders. And lastly, this is right out of Ephesians 4, if you're going to grow up, you need the local church. And this is a rub for a lot of people. If you're going to grow up, you need the local church. Let's be honest. Up to this point in the sermon and in the passage, up to this point, you can get most of this on the internet. You can get on Amazon, you can wade through the garbage, you can find something that is sound in its doctrine, that's solid. You can order that, you can read it, you can study it. You can get on iTunes, you can wade through the, the goofy preacher this way and the goofy preacher that way. You can find good, solid preaching. You can listen to it on iTunes, you can 
watch video, listen to audio, that's available. You can do a lot of these things online, but this is where Paul just comes into our culture that wants to be independent and isolated and do my own thing, and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you're going to grow up, you need each other. And you understand, when I say you need the local church, you don't need this building, this stage, the microphone, the sound system. You need the people sitting next to you. Without them, you can't grow up. Look at some of the things that Paul says. Verse 12, he talks about the body of Christ. That's not you as an individual, that's us together. Verse 13, until we attain to the unity of faith. We, not you the individual, us, we. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children. Not so that you won't be a child, but so that we won't be children. Verse 15, we are to grow up. Verse 16, the whole body joined and held together and working properly. There's not a lot of me's or I's or you's in there. It's all we's. And Paul is saying, if you're going to grow up, you need each other. Left to yourself, you will never grow up. It's impossible. You need the local church. He says, each part must work properly. Each part has to work properly. You understand that you're a part. You understand that you have a role to play here. If this is your church at Emmanuel Baptist Church, you have a role to play here. And without you playing that role, you will not grow up and the rest of us will not grow up properly. We're connected. We're dependent on each other. Every part has to play its role. Paul also says, as he's talking about you need the local church, he says the church needs truth and love. Both. Truth and love. Most churches tend to specialize. We're going to emphasize truth. Or we're going to emphasize love. And Paul says just emphasize both. They're not enemies. They're friends. The church needs truth. And the church needs love. Let me end with a story. Real life story. First church I pastored was in Kentucky. And uh, started pastoring there. I was 20 four years old and had absolutely no clue what I was doing. No clue. I, I convinced them I knew what I was doing. I had no clue what I was doing. But I got in and got past the interview and all the vote and all that stuff and, and started trying to figure it out as I go. And made a lot of good friends there and uh, learned some things about leadership there and preaching there. And uh, one of the guys that I became good friends with, I'm just going to call him uh, Ray. His name is not Ray, but I'll call him Ray. So Ray and I are friends. Uh, the church is about five miles outside of Frankfurt. Ray lives about five miles past that, so about ten miles outside of town. Lives on a farm. And uh, Ray was one of the greatest guys you would ever meet. A great friend. Um, if we had a, a community picnic, we had this big community picnic every summer, Ray would haul down, put, hook it up to his truck, haul down this giant smoker, and he would cook for the whole community. Hot dogs, hamburgers, all the stuff. He, would, he was there to help. Uh, a few months before I convinced them I knew what I was doing and got there, they had built a, a new building. And uh, it needed some finishing touches. And so we would have work days and we would go down and work on this building together. And Ray would be right there with you, man. He was ready to work. He was skilled. He was good at it. Uh, he was fun to be around. He's a nice guy. He, he would just, literally the guy, you hear this all the time, but he would give you the shirt off his back. Just a great guy. His family never missed church on Sunday mornings. 
he almost never came on Sunday mornings. Almost never. Christmas and Easter would be a stretch. Just didn't come. He was around. He would help. If you needed a favor, he was there for you. He was friendly. He was nice. He just he didn't come. And so I've been there about two years pastoring. Friends with Ray know that he just doesn't come much. And I'm sitting down at the church one day. I'm working in my office. And Ray walks in. Middle of the week. Out of the blue. And he looks troubled. And he says, can I visit with you for a minute? I say, sure, sit down. So Ray sits down. And the first thing out of his mouth is, I need to apologize to you. Apologize? What do you need to apologize for? He says, well, I don't come to church. And I said, well, I know you don't come to church, but that's really between you and God, not between you and me. He said, no, no, I feel like I need to apologize to you. And he starts to tell me this story, and he says, you know, the last pastor, this and that, and I got mad and sour grapes, and I know it's wrong, and all these years later, here I am, and I still don't come. And he said, I know it's not right. I, I need to come. I, sh I should be here. I like you. We're friends. I should come. And I said, well, come. We'd love to have you. Your family will save you a seat. They sit right back there on the right every Sunday. Come. So the next Sunday he came. And the week after that he came. And he came for about a month. And then he just quit. And one of the things he told me when he came in to apologize is, you know, when I got mad at this other preacher, I just, I got in the habit of staying home and turning on the TV, and I watch my favorite preacher on TV, watch him every Sunday morning. So it's not like I'm angry at God. It's not like I'm not a Christian. I just, I stay home and watch the guy on TV, watch him every Sunday. Don't miss it, but I'm not at church. And so he comes for about four weeks, and then he just quits, and I don't see him. And I give him a couple of weeks grace and I bump into him and I say, Ray, where you been? Uh, I've been staying home. Really? You know, there's 40 of us in the room. We know when you're not there, Ray. Yeah. I've been staying home and uh, been, I've been watching, what's his name on TV? Huh. I, I thought you were going to come. Yeah, I had good intentions. I, I know I need to. I, I will. He didn't. He was convinced that to grow, you understand he didn't hate Jesus. He didn't stop identifying as a Christian. But he was convinced that in order to grow, all he needed was to sit in his recliner Sunday morning, watch somebody speak on the television for about 25 minutes, and that's it. He could grow. I just wanted to grab Ray by the collar and say, Ray, you need to grow up. It's not working, bud. That's not how God designed it to work. Ray, you need godly leaders in your life. Yes, you need the apostles and the prophets through the Bible to have authority in your life. But you also need pastors and teachers and Sunday school teachers. You need these people in your life. You may know everything, you may know more than they know, but you need them to, to remind you and to encourage you and to pray for you. You need them, Ray. And I wanted to say to him, Ray, you need sound doctrine, mostly because the guy he was staying home to listen to was a kook. But I'll say, Ray, I know you say you love Jesus, but you don't know the Bible. You know this man and what he says, but he doesn't do a lot of talking about the Bible. You need the Bible. 
You need sound doctrine. You can't grow up without it. And most of all, you need us, and we need you. God has something for you to do here. He has a role for you to play, and you're not going to grow up until you do it. And the rest of us will have our growth stinted when you're not here doing what God has called you to do. Ray, you need this. And there's times I just wanted to, like I said, grab him by the shirt collar and just say, shake some sense into him. Here's the reality. We all need to grow up. Not one of you in this room could look me in the eyeball and say, I've been a Christian for this long, and it's been nothing but a steady uphill growth curve from day one. I'm just off the charts awesome. You can't say that. You laugh about it because you know I can't say that. So grow up. Grow up. Let me pray for you. Father, you are a, a patient God. You have shown us great grace in sending Jesus to live for us and to die for us. You have brought us into your family. We are called your children, your people, your church. And Father, we don't want to be satisfied to stay little, to remain immature. We want to grow up. And we can't do it without your help. We can't do it without the help of others. And so, Father, we pray this morning that you would help us to humbly admit our need for you and our need for the church. Father, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. Father, we pray for those who are here who maybe listen to this talk, this sermon, and they're not sure if they're part of your family or not. Maybe they've done religious things, spiritual things. Maybe they have been in church buildings all their life, but they're just not sure whether or not they really know you as Father. Father, we pray that you would change their hearts, that you would pull them to Jesus, that you would grant them faith and repentance that leads to life, and that they would join your family. Father, help us to grow up. We want to worship you. We want to respond to your word, acknowledging who Jesus is and what he has done for us, and then committing ourselves to follow you wherever you may lead us to grow up. Father, be honored as we sing and as we lift our voices. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand up and we're going to.